Uh, I'm the type of person who doesn't get worried that much. Like, I don't really get that concerned. I'm fairly chilled out or laid back. But one thing that does make me a little bit nervous and uneasy is being double booked, which we heard a little bit about in uh, the family spot just earlier. But I hate being double booked, that time where you know you've, you've said yes to two things, they're both on at the same time, and they're far enough away from each other that you kind of can't get them both done. And so you have to say no to someone, and you have to let someone down. And I hate that. I hate letting people down. But you're presented, right, with these, these two invitations. One is, is a brunch with the in-laws, and you said that, yes to that first. The other one is to go for a surf with your friends, and you said yes to that second. You know which one, it's a moral dilemma, right? Do I do the right thing, or do I do the better thing, the thing that will be more fun? Well, what we're looking at today is a section from the Bible where we're given two invitations from two different characters. They, they both give us their sales pitch, This is why it's worth coming to me, and we've got to work out which invitation we are going to accept. The first character and the first invitation is from Lady Wisdom. The other character's name is Lady Folly, and the question that we are faced with is, where is our life heading? Which invitation are we going to accept? Wisdoms, follies. There's a catch. We are not choosing between right and better, we are choosing between right and wrong, best and worst. The right way to live being the best, the wrong way to live being the worst. And there's nothing in between in this passage. Where is your life heading? This is how we're going to work our way through this question. We've kind of got three points. We're going to look at the two invitations together, and then we're going to look at what it might mean to choose wisdom, and then finally, where is your life heading? We'll tackle that question. So let's get into that first invitation from wisdom. We meet these two characters, Lady Wisdom and Lady Folly. Now, it's important for me to kind of mention that these are not two literal women. It's a metaphor. It's a metaphor that's being used to help us get our heads around reality, to help us work out what reality is like. So our first character, Lady Wisdom, she's built a house. She has prepared food, meat, and wine. She has set her table. She has sent out servants, presumably to invite people to come back. And then she issues her invite. She makes the call. To those who are simple, come to my house. To those who have no sense, she says, come. Eat my food and drink the wine I have mixed. I've set everything up. I've prepared this feast. Come, eat, enjoy. Wisdom has worked so hard so that people who come to her can enjoy the fruits of her labor. And we're told later on in the passage that that is life. True life is the reward of accepting the invitation from Lady Wisdom. To accept that invitation means to walk in the way that she represents. It's to pursue a life that is lived rightly. And when you do that, you reap the reward of her labor, life. That's the first invitation, the first offer. Come to me and you will get life. I wonder what offers you have received in life and what promises have been attached 
to those offers. A business opportunity. Partner with us and you'll have success and prosperity. Maybe a scholarship of some sort. Come to this institution. It's the best institution. We will offer you the best education. A sporting opportunity. Be a part of this team. We're going to win it all and you will have glory. Or a relationship. Be with me and I will make you happy forever. There's a film that came out in 2019 called Just Mercy. It's based on a true story about a Harvard lawyer named Brian Stevenson and he devotes his life to helping inmates on death row who have, who have got there through wrongful convictions. Uh, often after corrupt investigations. And so what he does is he offers to represent them, and maybe not with a promise, but with a hope that he will get them off death, death row. That, that they might liter- almost literally get life because he represents them uh, as their lawyer. These are men consigned to die, given an offer of representation that could very well lead to life. There is a sense in which this is the offer of Lady Wisdom. Follow me, get life. Follow wisdom, get life. That's the first invitation. And then there's the second, Lady Folly sale pitch. Now, Lady Folly, when we're introduced to her, she does not get a good write-up at all. She's called unruly. We're told she knows nothing. She's presented as lazy. She calls out to those who pass by saying, let all who are simple come to my house. To those without sense, she says, stolen water is sweet, food eaten in secret is delicious. She's sitting there, calling out to those who pass by to come in. To what? We're not really told that she's actually prepared anything. She seems to have stolen some water. There's something about food eaten in secret which just sounds sketchy. Although apparently it's delicious. What we're seeing is that her invitation is a lie. It's deceitful. She hasn't built her own house. She hasn't even prepared a wonderful banquet. She's stolen the goods. Rather than meat and wine, it's water and secret food. You don't know what you're getting yourself into by accepting this invitation. And the result, the outcome, or when you go to the place of Lady Folly, behind the door is death. You're met with death. I want to tell you about a man named Christian Picciolini. Christian is a former American extremist and neo-Nazi. He's written a book, a few books. He's done a TED Talk. He talks about his journey both into uh, the neo-Nazi gangs in America and then back out of them as well. And he tells a story being raised in a home where his parents cared for him, but they worked seven days a week, 14 hours a day, so they were never around. He was quite lonely and kind of isolated. He got bullied a lot uh, growing up in school. Um, through school, and he says this, right? For 14 years, I had felt marginalized and bullied. I had low self-esteem, and frankly, I had no idea who I was, where I was, and what my purpose was. No idea who he was, where he was, or what his purpose was. And it's in that space that he's confronted by a man in an alleyway. And he offers, this man offers him a sense of purpose and belonging This is how he describes the recruitment of some of these gangs. The leaders of this organization would target vulnerable young people who felt marginalized and then draw them in with promises of paradise. Broken promises. The offer of Lady Folly. Here the water is sweet, but it's stolen. Come to my place, 
but death's behind the door. In his story, he shares the outcome of of accepting this guy's offer, and they come in the form of the horrors of extremism, violence, imprisonment, friends dying. He even shares the story about um, he writes music that actually ends up influencing or partially influencing someone who commits a mass shooting. The offer of paradise leads to a hugely destructive life. The offer of Lady Folly leads to death. Get Folly Get death. That's the second invitation. It sort of seems like a no-brainer at this point. Get wisdom, get life. Get folly, get death. Let's go for wisdom. But what is that? And how do you get it? This is our second point. Choosing wisdom. What is wisdom? How do you get it? I want to offer a little attempt at a definition of wisdom. Wisdom is recognizing the true way that the world works. Wisdom is recognizing the true way that the world works. It's recognizing reality, understanding reality. I wonder if that's what you would normally think that the word means. Google puts it like this, the quality of having sound judgment. Wisdom is the quality of having sound judgment. A wise person, someone who makes the right choices when making decisions. They have good judgment. Maybe they have a lot of experience in a certain area and so they can offer their wisdom into situations. And that's true. That's, that's true that that's what wisdom is, but it's incomplete. The way the Bible defines wisdom is so much bigger. And it's so much bigger than that because Google's definition of wisdom says it is simply a quality that humans can possess from within It comes from within us. The Bible says that it's a quality that comes from God and that he, in fact, created the whole world using wisdom. And that means we can see wisdom in the world. That means because he's used it to create the world, that means we can experience the world and get a better understanding of how to live in it. But that's just a part of the picture. It's not the whole picture. And to help us get our heads around the whole picture of wisdom, we have to go to that second reading we had in the New Testament in a biography of a man named Jesus, written by a guy named Matthew. Jesus tells this little riddle about two builders. The wise man builds his house on the rock, a sure and firm foundation. The foolish man builds his house on the sand, And when a storm comes and beats against both houses, the one on the sand falls and the one on the rock stands. Point of the story, you have to get the foundation right. Otherwise, your house will be knocked down. Get the foundation right, otherwise your house will be knocked down. And if we take that principle, that is why Verse 10 of chapter 9 in Proverbs is vitally important. This is what it says. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, and knowledge of the Holy One is understanding. The foundation that we need to get right of wisdom is realizing who God is. The fear of the Lord essentially means to realize who God is to remembering everything who our Creator is, to recognize Him as Creator and Ruler and to revere Him. If wisdom is recognizing the true way that the world works and it's understanding reality, if that's what wisdom is, 
And to do that, you need to pay attention to the one who made the world. You need to pay attention to the one who created and defined reality. That's God. If wisdom is understanding reality and God made reality, then to get wisdom, we need to come to God. I got a photo coming off of a sideboard. It's a poorly taken photo. I took it, sorry. A bit lopsided. Anyway. Now, I repurposed this sideboard, right? I, I sanded it back, put some stain on it, put a bit of varnish on it. Now, you can come and ask me how I did that. You can ask me what tools I used, what stain I used. You know, I can even tell you how the color that I picked out turned out not to be the right color according to my wife's aesthetic preferences. But I can't tell you how it was made. I didn't make the sideboard. I don't know what tools were made to make it. I could guess. I don't know who supplied the handles for the drawers. I don't know why they designed it in the way they did. I don't know what they even originally purposed it for. If you want to know that, you've got to go find the one who actually made the sideboard. To understand reality, we need to go to the one who made reality. But unfortunately, there is an enormous problem with this. The Bible tells us that every single one of us have already rejected God. We've already said we don't want anything to do with the one who made reality. The Bible puts it this way, we're all like sheep that have gone astray. We have all turned to our own way. And that means we have turned from God to live lives for ourselves. And the Bible calls it sin. Sin is ignoring God, rejecting Him as our creator and ruler and determining to live life our own way, as the ruler of our own life. It's turning your back on your maker. That's sin. And we're told that it's the reason for all the evil and the corruption and the brokenness, illness, hurt and pain. By rejecting God, we broke God's intention for a good creation and introduced evil into it. By rejecting God, we break our relationship with Him and as a result, it's kind of like we've thrown a stone into a still lake and then there's ripples going out and the ripples is the brokenness of the world that we see. If you need evidence for the brokenness of the world, just flick on the news. Look at what's happening in Gaza. Look at what's happening in the Ukraine. And if that's too far away for us, then find a police officer and ask what they had to confront in the last week and, and you'll probably realise we're living in a broken world, and to, to deny that, I think, is to be blind. The Bible teaches that the reason for all this brokenness is sin. It's that we ignore and rebel against God. And essentially, what the Bible's kind of saying is, if you trace all the ripples back in that once still lake to the center, you'll find our, us turning our backs on God. That's caused it all. So here we have a problem. To get life, we need wisdom, but wisdom begins by recognizing who God is, but all of us have already turned our backs on God. We've cut ourselves off from our maker. That sideboard I showed a photo of earlier, my wife actually just found on the side of a street. Found on the side of the street, and we used it in our house since. It has nothing on it that would indicate who made it. We have no way of figuring out who made it or how. We could never get any of the answers to those questions about why they made it. The only way that is possible is someone might walk into our house and go, oh, I know who made that, and then introduce us to the maker. We need someone to actually bring us to the person who made it. 
This is a situation we're in with God as a result of our sin. We're cut off from our maker and we are helpless and we need someone else who knows him to bring us back to him. Without being brought back to God, we will never truly get wisdom and we'll be stuck on the path to folly's house, which means death. Because the penalty for sin, we're told in the Bible, is death. Not simply dying in this life, but to be eternally separate from the one who provides life. That's God. And a day will come when he will judge us all. Some will get life and others death. And this is the human predicament. This is the problem we are all in. How do we get life then if this is our situation? How do we choose to accept the invitation of wisdom? We need someone who can bring us back to God. And we find the answer in that story of two builders. I left out a slight detail when I summarized that story earlier. You see, the difference between the wise and fool, foolish builders, it's not simply that they build their house on different foundations. It's actually what those foundations represent. They represent whether a person listens to Jesus' words or not. This is what Jesus says, everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise man who builds his house on the rock. And later he says, everyone who hears my words and does not put them into practice is like a foolish man who built his house, who built his house on sand. Jesus is saying, I am the foundation that you need to build your life on. The wise person builds their life on me. Why? Because Jesus died a fool's death. Or at least that's what it might seem like. Because a Jewish man in first century Palestine was executed by Roman crucifixion. An innocent man on a criminal's cross. Why? Because of the punishment that you and I deserve. Because of the death we deserve. On that cross, as Jesus hung there like a criminal, he was actually bearing the punishment for our sin. The Bible puts it this way, whilst we were still sinners, Christ, that is Jesus, died for us. Years after coming out of that neo-Nazi movement, Christian, who I told you about earlier, he got a job fixing computers at one of his old high schools that he'd been kicked out of. Uh, still working at that school was an African-American security guard whom Christian had assaulted years earlier. That got him kicked out of the school. So under the severe weight of his guilt, he ran after this security guard one afternoon and tapped him on the shoulder. When the guy turned around and faced him, he recognized who it was and he took steps back in fear. Face to face with this guy he'd so poorly treated, he couldn't muster up any other words except two little words and just said, I'm sorry. And without responding at all, the man just wrapped him up in an embrace. You know, there's always a cost to forgiveness. That man actually bears a cost in forgiving this guy, Christian. By embracing him, he's saying, I put anything you owe me aside. But imagine this, right? Right after that, Christian's then arrested. And later he's convicted of that assault. What if the security guard walks into the sentencing hearing and says, I'll take the jail time? 
I'll bear the penalty. Let him go free, enjoy his life, and I'll take the penalty. That's what Jesus does on that Roman cross. He says, I will take the penalty. I will face God's judgment so they don't have to. So what seems like a foolish waste of life as an innocent man dies on a cross is actually the greatest act of wisdom ever displayed because it means you and I can be forgiven. It means he bears the cost of our sins so we can reap the reward of restored relationship with our maker and eternal life. Jesus takes our sin on his shoulders, dies in our place so we can have eternal life. Jesus is the one that can bring us back to our maker and that's why he needs to be our foundation. In that story of the wise and foolish builder, you know what we're never told about? How nice the houses are. You know, the foolish builder could have built a five-story mansion at Point Piper, the most expensive suburb in Sydney. You might have built the best life for yourself. Good job, nice house, good family, great friends. But if we keep rejecting God, then our foundation is sand. And when the most crucial storm rises up, when God comes to judge, all of it will come crashing down if we don't have Jesus as our foundation. Wisdom is understanding reality. And reality as is that this life is not all that there is. There is a life to come. And judgment day is the storm that determines who will stand. What the Bible says is that no one can stand without Jesus. His death on your behalf is what, take, what, is what it takes to make it through that storm. To receive the banquet of life rather than the door of death. Just quickly to finish, where is your life heading? Where is your life heading? Wisdom. Recognizing reality. Have you seen the God who made it all? And do you realize that this life is not the end? We realize that our rejection of God puts us in a serious predicament for the next life. Have you been confronted by the immense love that God has for you that he would offer himself to take in the person of Jesus Christ to give you the solution to the predicament we're all in? Jesus, in dying for you, offers the road out of that problem to eternal life. Is your life still heading down the road to the house of Lady Folly? It doesn't have to be. You can have your house built on a true foundation that is Jesus Christ and his death and resurrection because he doesn't stay dead. He rises from death to life, but he can extend to you that invitation of life forever. How do we get that? How do we accept the invitation? Well, there's one verse in our Proverbs passage that gives us a window into how we can have Jesus as our foundation. In verse 6, one little word, leave. Leave is like forsake or abandon. Leave the foundation you are currently building your life on and entrust yourself to Jesus. You either center your life upon your own desires and aspirations or you center it on Jesus who can bring you to eternal life. 
So where is your life heading? Where is it heading? Do you either trust yourself to work out the problem or you trust Jesus who has already done it for you? To abandon the foundation you currently have is to entrust yourself to Jesus. It's to turn away from the sin of ignoring God and turn towards Jesus, trusting him to bring you back to your maker and to the eternal life that can only be found in him. Remember, there's no in-between for these two invitations. All we're going to do now is actually want to offer you the opportunity to leave whatever your current foundation is and to put your trust in Jesus. If you would like to turn toward Jesus, put your trust in him and have him as your foundation because of his sacrifice for you, all you need to do is really say two little words. I'm sorry. So to help you do that, what we're going to do is pray a prayer. Prayer is simply just talking to God. We're going to pray a prayer that you can repeat after me in your own head and heart. You don't have to say anything out loud. A prayer that just simply says, sorry, to God for ignoring him. Thank you for sending Jesus to die in my place and please help me to trust him as my foundation. If you would like to do that, you can pray this in your own head and heart after me. We're going to pray now. I would invite you to bow your heads and close your eyes. I'm going to pray. (laughs) Dear God, I'm sorry that I have turned my back on you, that I have sinned by ignoring and rejecting you. Thank you that you sent Jesus to die the death I deserve to take the punishment for my sin. Please help me to leave my current foundations and turn to trust Jesus as the center of my life. Amen.